Hey everybody and uh, welcome to another episode here of On The Blood Trail. Uh, last time we did a group session here with uh, the video recording and the three of us, it was a blast and we decided we wanted to try and do another one here. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, kind of like trophy hunting and just the, the acceptance and the, how it's perceived within the hunting community and uh, we're also going to touch on uh, just setting standards for yourself for uh, what size of trophy you're going after and uh, how it's look how it looks to everybody else when you decide you want to kind of drop your standards whether it's the last day of the hunt or uh, just you decide that you're gonna just change your mind so we got my brother Ryan here good to be back guys uh, we just got finished with an awesome bear hunt uh, Ryan took his biggest bear with a bow you guys can see that one on our YouTube channel I got my first bear with a muzzleloader uh, Spencer made it out with us for an earlier season hunt. I haven't gotten around to editing that one yet, but uh, our good friend Zach shot his first bear. It was another awesome time. Uh, Spencer, you can also see, shot that real nice bear of his uh, a year ago. That one's on the YouTube channel as well. And I'm uh, just going to start it here with Spencer today. So when you go out into the bush and, and you decide, say we're deer hunting, uh, it's the start of season, Like, what do you decide for setting expectations or standards for deer? really depends on the year for me. In some years I might be super passionate about meat hunting, others I am crazy about trophy hunting. In the area we're at, I usually set about 140 inch deer as the standard. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it can be hard to break that for a lot of deer. Like this deer here beside me, I believe this one was 141 inches. It's a pretty nice buck, I think. Yeah, it looks like I, a good buck. Looked like he was in his prime. Even for size comparison with scoring deer, this Shed here, a little bit nicer. When I scored it, I figured with the other side, it would have been about 170 inch deer. If you see these on the hoof side by side there. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Like, obviously you're shooting the drop time, but if that was just a five by five, you might go for the four by four. So for me, character can be a big thing too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I could agree with that. Like, uh, I'd, I'd rather shoot a gnarly heavy buck than uh beautiful five-pointer yeah some guys are going for length some guys go for mass some are there for the gnarly junk I, I think uh, our dad's always told us that if it's got one of the three then he's going to take it and if it's got two yeah. of the three that's a big bonus yeah and uh so that, that goes a lot into deciding what you're going to shoot uh, another big one is a lot of people set different standards for whether or not they're hunting with a bow or they're hunting with a gun and uh because it's a little bit more achievable to get a bigger buck with the gun. Realistically speaking, your odds are a little bit better. You can shoot a lot further. Uh, your chances of getting something with a rifle, just because it's that much more lethal of a, a weapon if used correctly, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, Ryan, like, how do you uh, approach bow hunting versus gun hunting for something like a deer? Well, for me, generally, when I go into a bow hunting situation, I'm looking for a Pope and Young deer. And so that's kind of the standard that I set, you know, whether that deer be three and a half, four and a half, depending on his gene pool, he may be bigger or smaller or four point or five point score. To me, doesn't necessarily mean as much as the hunt is going to mean. At the end of the day, really, when I get into, a, into my stand, you know, maybe I have my younger cousin with me, I'm trying to teach him, or maybe, you know, Spencer is my best friend or my brother. If I have a, a nice 120 inch, 130 inch four point come in, you know, it's a nice 20 yard shot. I know I can make a clean ethical shot. You know, maybe I, I'm, I'm rushed for time. Maybe I got, I got to go to work the next day or I may not get out in the bush. I will take that deer. Now, if I know I have an entire month to hunt September and I got a coveted tag, you know, like a, you know, maybe I'm going on a guided hunt or in a situation where you have the time and you can, and you can bring the patience, 
then I'd say all four and maybe trying to harvest a bigger deer. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, I think it's also about setting realistic standards for your trophy size. Like, I go out every year, I figure, you know what, shot a lot of deer in that 120, 130, tickle 140 range. It'd be nice to shoot something that's in that 150 to 160 class, just because sometimes uh, it's nice to, not even just to show it off to other people, because that's not what it's about. It's more so just trying to elevate the bar for yourself and trying to give yourself yeah. more of a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then that brings me to this. So Spencer, say you're sitting in your tree stand with your bow and you've decided that you want to shoot a 140 to 150 inch buck and a 130 walks in at 20 yards. I'd be in that scenario and I'd look at the maturity of the buck. Yeah. For a lot of people, that's what makes them happy is it's that you're shooting an upper age class deer. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you're not going to be able to shoot those big bucks if you're shooting every nice three-year-old that comes by. Yeah. Because you got to let them grow. I agree. Well, fair enough. And I think a big thing for you in a couple of your last years of hunting was that you were in college. Yeah, with the timing, it's it's a different scenario than those seasons. I'm not I'm not out there for the trophy. I'm just, just I'm happy to, to fill the freezer. Fill the freezer, fill the tag. Yeah. 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 Uh, now that said, you're not going out to shoot the first tiny little thing that you see, are you? No. No, because you want to let those <laughs> those ones try and mature a little bit, right? We do. Yeah. A lot of people end up in that situation where it might be the last couple of days of season where it's like, well, the first two-year-old that comes by or the first big doe. Mm -hmm. Like last year I got in that scenario, I was helping a younger gentleman hunt, or I guess our neighbor here, taking him hunting and things just, we just couldn't get a shot opportunity. And then a day came where I had a chance to hunt my own. I'm like, you know what, this might be my last day of season. I'll shoot the first lone doe I see ended up the the first year I saw was a three-year-old buck so yeah so the and next he filled the freezer yeah no for sure and that's that's really what matters the most because that's really why we all hunt it's it's for the enjoyment and it's also for uh, putting the food on the table and, and I always enjoy being able to know where my meat came from how it died I know in a slaughterhouse they don't usually get it nearly as nice as what our animals do when we're hunting mm -hmm. and uh, if you make a, a marginal or a bad shot then that's something that you got to live with right and it gives you something to, as a stepping stone, to kind of work on for the next time that you're out there. It makes you practice a little more, challenge yourself for different situations and whether you should or shouldn't take the shot, right? Also make sure your gear is working. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everything falls into place. So then uh, the next one I want to transition into is uh, guided hunts. So a lot of people go on a guided hunt, and whether it's for a deer, for a moose, bear, whatever you're going out for, the outfitter is always going to show you this, the pictures of the biggest animals that they're shooting, right? And so Ryan and I were talking about this on the way here today, and uh, you're going hunting in the Yukon for moose, of course they're going to show you the pictures of the 60 plus inch bulls, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. When realistically, when you go up there, you're looking at kind of mid to low 50s is their average, and it kind of sets an unrealistic expectation for the hunter going in saying, you know what, these guys are shooting all these bulls, I'm going to get one of those too. Mm -hmm. Now, you could... And it's not wrong to set an expectation like that, yeah. but you got to also have the real expectation of, well, maybe I'm only going to see a 55 or a 52. And in that situation, I think that. you'd have to decide what makes you happy. Yeah. If you truly want that 60 inch bull moose in those hunts, you have to be willing to pass up the 55s and you have to be willing to go home empty handed. And yeah. it might take three, four occasions, but at the end, if you succeed and that's truly what you wanted, yeah. then it's well worthwhile. Yeah, and the other part too is if a guy is paying that amount of money for a hunt, you're probably not there to, to solely fill your freezer. You're more so there for the trophy you're bringing home. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the, the filling the freezer aspect is also just a bonus or 
in uh, our cases, sometimes we've donated the meat to the local communities, and that feeds people for a long time. On a hunt like a moose hunt, sometimes the trophy isn't the size of that animal. It's the fact that, well, I've killed this nice, big, healthy moose. I've gone on this faraway hunt, and that to them might be the trophy in itself. Mm -hmm. I know I've heard of a lot of Americans that'll they'll come up here in Alberta to bow hunt a moose, and the trophy isn't that you're going to shoot a massive moose. If they shoot a 25, 30, 40 inch bull, mm -hmm. they're happy, and that's the trophy of the hunt for them. It's yeah. just that they've killed this moose with a bow. Yeah, same thing for elk in Alberta. You're not going to find those 350 inch bulls. If you do, it's like winning the lottery, and uh, it's not realistic to set that as an expectation. You're not hunting in New Mexico, you're hunting in Alberta where there's a different set of rules <laughs> and pressures and mm -hmm. all that that goes along with it. Um, now, you're on a guided hunt, you paid a lot of money for this hunt, and the first animal you see is a borderline shooter. Like, how, how do you how do you react to that? Like, you know you've got seven days worth of hunting in this area that usually hasn't been hunted in a long time, yeah. or you know you got pictures of these really good deer in there that are coming by uh, once in a blue moon, but you get a picture of one of the real decent ones, and you know that that one's coming in all the time. You're sitting in that stand thinking, well, I could have a shot at these really big ones, but this smaller one that's still a shooter-sized deer or animal, whatever you're after, comes by on your first day, are you going to take that shot or are you going to wait? Personally, I know everyone likes to say the, the whole phrase, don't pass up on the first day what you would shoot on the last. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I would kind of go with that moral value of it. I would shoot. That's personally what I would do. I would shoot. I don't know about you guys. I, I've heard some people, they'll weigh on their guide's experience and ask, is there a chance that we're going to find a better one like Cal Lake? Or we? And you, you'd have to weigh in on it too. What did you go on that hunt for? Did you want to spend the entire seven days hunting hard? Like, that could be a lot of it, just getting that vacation. That might be worth more than shooting the animal to you. So okay. you got to weigh factors in like that as well. So then, on the flip side of this, you're on a seven-day hunt, and you're on day seven. And I know you're grinning because you're just, you're that guy, you want to fill that tank, make sure you don't go home empty-handed. But you're on this, this hunt, you have an expectation of right here, and an animal right here comes in on your, your last day. Are you are you thinking, you know what, I, I still have a couple hours in the night, I, I might be able to have something else walk by, or are you going to take that shot? Like, how much do you drop your expectation or your standards? I think a large part of how low you're able to drop your expectations on a guided hunt depends on the outfitter that you're going with. Yeah. Lots of times they'll have a trophy cap or an inch limit, you know, so... I've heard of lots of outfitters in, in the Midwest, you know, they have a 140-inch minimum, and, and if you drop below that certain size of deer without their permission you get tagged with a trophy fee or a size fee yeah. and so i think that's a lot that has to do with it if you're in a hunt in a situation like that i don't think you lower your standards but i think if you're in an area maybe you're, you're doing a management hunt in texas or something of that sort and the outfitter says yeah you know if you want to fill your tag on on this size animal or maybe you want to take your tag with a doe you know if that's what you want to do just to fill your tag and i think that's the situation that you would go with i've always viewed those management hunts as something where it's about getting the tag filled you're there to serve a purpose, whether it be like you're saying a Texas deer hunt where I believe most of them, it's anything that's less than a 10 pointer is a management buck if it's over X age class. So on a hunt like that, if a three year old walks by, I think you should be considering that opportunity heavily. Yeah. I always go back to what would make you happy with your hunt. If it, if you would, if you can measure your success in inches, then you have to stand by that. If you're happy to fill the tag, if you'd be happy with that animal, I don't see why you shouldn't shoot it. But. So then, now in the broader looking at things, like 
within the hunting community, there's a certain level of acceptance. And for whatever reason, we're our biggest enemies because we all attack each other. We all want to see each other fail, even though at the same time we love to see pictures of each other succeeding. It's the strangest dynamic, I think, out of most any hobbies that I've seen. Um, but a lot of guys will say, yeah, well, if you're not going to get your, your trophy class animal, like you're going into an area where you should be getting a 150-inch whitetail and the only things you're seeing are 120s, they're like, well, you should just go home skunked. Like, just eat the tag. And then there's the other guys they are like, oh, no, all day, shoot that 120-inch deer. Now, if you get a guy, and, and this is the other part of it too, so youth in hunting and the older gentlemen in hunting are usually kind of covered as far as it's, it's accepted if you see them shoot a smaller animal. Mm -hmm. Seeing that middle-aged guy that goes out, and a lot of times these middle-aged guys, they don't have the time, they don't have the money, and they're just trying to get out there and have a, a little bit of an enjoyable experience, fill the freezer for the family, but if they shoot something that's undersized by everybody else's standards within the community then they get torn apart for it. Mm -hmm. So how do you kind of balance what you're doing as far as how the other part of the hunting community wants to see it? I think you have to weigh in on your enjoyment. If I don't think you should let anybody tell you like, oh, this animal is undersized. If it's, if truly, I know a lot of people around here, they're, they're meat hunters. Mm -hmm. So it makes them happy. They're, they're hunting because it's something they enjoy doing. And hunting hard, putting all the time in to hunt the mature deer is, it's something that won't interest everybody. I know I have seasons where it's certainly, it's not the end all be all of the season. It's just about getting outdoors, spending the time and coming with something in the end of it, filling that freezer. Yeah. Okay. So then my next question would be for you. Um, I seen on Facebook this morning this uh, younger kid was talking about how he's he's watching all these other hunters and he he wants to accomplish the North American Grand Slam, which is a huge feat. Was it twenty eight, twenty nine animals with a bow? They all got to qualify for the record books. Tom Miranda did it. It's one that I know for sure. Very difficult. Very difficult. Not to mention how expensive it's becoming. Like the, the prices to go hunt all these animals that used to be however much they're almost double now. Uh, it's becoming so much more difficult. Uh, the fellow said he wanted to be part of the Boone and Crockett Club. Yeah. And so you're going out with this in your mindset, right? And, and we've also found out that uh, through videotaping and hunting for Slager Outdoors that it can take the fun out of your hunting. It can very much. And, and as you're starting to get into that videotaping and that bigger, broader spectrum of you're starting to focus on your scores, you're, you're relying on your trail cameras, you know, you start to take the fun and the surprise out of hunting. Mm -hmm. I personally, I get the most enjoyment out of hunting when I get up in a stand. You know, it's it's nice breeze. You know, the sun's coming down. You're, you're watching, you know, deer, moose, or elk, or bears, you know, feed out and, and doing their natural things. That's where I get the most enjoyment. And then when you get a good, mature, you know, sizable animal that you want to take out of the herd, one that would benefit conservation, that to me, that's the most important thing to do. And I think it's also important that you kind of instill in your mind and, and if you got kids that you're raising that want to be in doing this, you, you make sure that they realize that it's more about the experience of the hunt and not so much about the number of inches. Yeah. Because you can have, uh, what's B and C all time, 190 on a whitetail? I'm not specifically sure, so, but that sounds about right. You shoot an animal and you're like, oh, this one's it. This is, this is my one. I'm going to get into that, that level of the record book and you miss it by half an inch. 
do you beat yourself up about it? Do you does that take anything away from your trophy? Because if you're really focusing on just getting that number, the person's probably going to be pretty down about it. I think that's motivation for next year. You've always got something to look forward to. Yeah. Once you break that, the, the other deer, if if your goal is to break that BNC all time, it wouldn't matter if you have one, two, ten. Mm -hmm. I think what would matter to you as a hunter is having achieved that goal. That's a very fair way to look at it. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, now, to you guys, I'll start with Spencer. Does scoring take the fun out of hunting? I think it would depend on the animal and the scenario. I know lots of times with whitetails, it's always like they're a plentiful animal around here and you get to hunt them every year. So if there's a year we have lots of time and it, it can add some fun where you're going to, oh, I'm going to score this deer and like it's a friendly competition between other hunters. And it's not putting down anybody else's deer. Like they're, they're all tremendous animals. For me, there's situations where, yeah, like it, it could take the fun out, but I've always enjoyed scoring them and it's, it's a way of measuring your success. Okay. So then Ryan, same question to you, but... The way that it's perceived, like if you're shooting deer that are 120 inches all the time with your gun, people are going to be like, oh, well, you're, you're just going out there, you're wasting time. Like you should be sitting and waiting for something much bigger. So in that aspect, it would seem that scoring could take fun out of the hunting. But how, how do you see that? Personally, I think when someone focuses solely on the score and they're sitting out there and they're saying, I have to get absolutely this specific number, mm -hmm. that can take the fun out of hunting. And it, it has for me specifically, because I've hunted entire months in November waiting for this one deer to score this certain amount, and I've had cool deer, mature deer come in that would fall below that mark, maybe 5, 10, 15 inches, and I've, I've passed them up. And I've learned to beat myself up over that, because I would have had just as much enjoyment harvesting those mature animals as I would have harvesting this bigger deer. I think a lot of times certain people's expectations for this certain inch mark, it can be really, they, it becomes disillusional because of trail cameras, mm -hmm. because of pictures of people online. If you're in Saskatchewan and you're shooting 150 inch deer off of a bait at 20 yards every year with your bow and you're in Alberta, there's a big difference because in Alberta we aren't allowed to bait. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with baiting. And I would never, you know, pick on anyone for doing that. But the, the style of hunting has a lot to do with your expectation of the trophy that you're going to harvest. And then going even a step further than that, your effective range with your weapon that you're using. If someone's getting into a tree stand and they can only shoot 20 yards and they're sitting on the edge of a field, rather than sitting 20 yards from a bait, their success value is going to lower quite a bit because that potential of that deer stepping outside of their effective range becomes much higher. Yep. I can see that. And uh, the other thing, too, about focusing a lot on a number or a score, uh, I got drawn for mule deer a couple of years ago, and I never filled my tag. I was unsuccessful. I didn't have a, a shortage of opportunities, but for some reason in my mind, I had set that I was going to shoot this buck that was at least this size. And I find the more you focus on it, the more you underscore the animals that you're seeing. You just have in your mind already that everything's going to be too small. And then once you see the one that is that size, you're like, I don't know if he's going to make it. I think I can wait a little bit longer. And then all of a sudden you never see anything near that again. I, I believe I remember the exact year that you're talking about. Yeah. And 
I'd like to hear you elaborate on, I think a fellow hunter ended up taking that deer that season, and they had scored it, and I think it, it exceeded what you are hoping for, didn't it? Uh, that one, with the deer, I actually don't, oh, I actually, you know what, I know what you're talking about. So that deer that you're talking about, we had a lot of arguments between Ryan, myself, and our dad about what this deer scored, mm -hmm. and I think we varied 50 inches. It was a, yeah, it was a significant amount. And the next season, which would have been the last hunting season, yeah. a gentleman shot this deer and it scored, what was it, like 210? It was about, yeah, 210, 217, something so like that. Yeah, it was, it was a really nice mule deer buck, really nice. Quite a bit non-typical. Yeah. And Ryan and I tried to do the stock on this deer, and it's a shame that we didn't have a camera because this buck came to like 10 yards. But he had only given you an unethical neck shot. Yeah, I could, I could a, see probably three inches below his chin. And with a bow, that's not an ethical shot to take. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's too marginal, and uh, it's just that's the way that it happens when you're hunting. Like we're sitting there, we're like, okay, there's a trail coming out over here, and it's twenty yards from us. The trail over here is thirty yards from us. Mm -hmm. He walked right to where we were sitting. He walked right to the middle of that canola, right at us. Yeah. Of course, he had no idea we were there. Yeah, no, of but course. But it's just it's that, and that's another thing when people are looking to harvest an animal of a certain inch size. I find that as a deer gets more mature. It grows at six cents yeah. and it becomes so smart that lots of times people don't have the patience for that size mm -hmm. that's nothing wrong with someone like that doesn't put a flaw in someone's ability to hunt no but you have to be able to sacrifice time and be able to have the patience to sit there and outweigh that animal because they only get that size for a reason mm -hmm. Right, they're smart enough to know that they're not supposed to come out as soon as it's light out or right way before it gets dark and, and give everybody those opportunities. They're mostly nocturnal. And when they do give you a chance, they're probably not going to give you a second chance. Mm -hmm. And I learned that hard, that hard lesson when I was hunting for mule deer. And I saw this really nice buck and I, I could have shot him at like 80 yards with my rifle. And the other part of it too that I weighed in was the fact that it was opening day of rifle season. And... I was like, well, I know that there's a big buck down here. And our dad had seen a buck down there that he thought might have been bigger. And I, I'm pretty sure we're all on the same page that this was, was the deer. deer. The only difference is that he was in velvet, and the deer in velvet can tend to look a lot larger than one that's hard-horned. And I passed up this buck, and I sat there quite a few more times afterwards and never did see him. I saw all of his buddies, but I never saw him again. And so that kind of goes to the looking a gift horse in the mouth. And even with uh, that moose hunt that Dad did in the Yukon where he saw that real nice bull yeah. on the first morning, the first moose that they saw, and he decided to pass on it. And even talking to him now about it, he said that he kind of wishes that he would have maybe taken that shot. And I think a lot of that, when you're hunting and you, you are looking for pure enjoyment of the hunt mm -hmm. from what is going on inside of you, don't listen to anyone else. No. Like, to listen to someone else when you're really focused on harvesting an animal, you're only going to become disappointed. Yep. And I think in a moment like that, you do learn to regret it because sometimes you do focus on what other people are saying. I do think in a hunt scenario like the the cool factor of that hunt, how there was so many big moose that he'd seen, if he would have shot the first big bull that he'd seen, that'd be it. The hunt was over. He wouldn't have all those encounters with the rest of that hunt. It would have been... He would have moved on to the next species, perhaps. I don't remember on that hunt if it was a multi-species or if that would have been the end of the hunt. And then you chance going home with nothing. Every time you pass up on an animal, you yeah. chance going home with nothing. Even if it's one slightly below your standards. Yeah. Well, a few years ago when we were uh, 
out hunting for whitetails and I had decided I'm going to shoot a deer of this class and I had just I passed up deer after deer after deer and, and most deer that I would have shot any other time but I just a little bit stubborn in my own mind I was like you know what we're going to try and hold out for something significant and uh, ended up settling for something quite less by the end of that hunting season yeah. but that's a chance that you take when you're out doing it and and do I regret it no not a chance I've shot many deer in the 120 class and I got a buck my biggest buck score is about 170 I think he's just a hair underneath and I got deer in the 120 class that I enjoyed that hunt more than my deer in the 170 class mm -hmm. and I think the biggest thing across all these platforms and all these different points of view is not to beat down other hunters for the way that they hunt no nope. because there's nothing wrong with someone as long as People are getting outside, they're hunting ethically, they're enjoying the outdoors, mm -hmm. they're not destroying any farmer's crops, you know what I mean? They're, they're leaving the land in better condition and, and conserving the wildlife for the next generation. Mm -hmm. Everybody should still support the next generation of hunters or the, the hunter that you see down the road or on the same property or, you know. As long as you're supporting the other hunters, I think everyone is going to win at the end of the day. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge thing to be supportive within uh, even the, the current hunters because there's a lot of guys that i've met that are like yeah you know what it just got too competitive uh guys were getting to the point where they were pushing you out of spots on purpose and that's a lot of what drives a lot of people to quit hunting and in today's day and age it's hard to find people to carry on the hunting tradition and it's really important because we got problems with wildlife we talk about grizzly bears all the time uh and it, it just you got too many people against hunting and the hunters within the community are attacking each other and it just doesn't work out for trying to promote it. It becomes a double-edged sword and in order for this to kind of mend and fix itself, hunters have to be able to band together on all platforms in order to, to, to fight back the, the anti-hunters and, and the way that the world has started to you know kind of go and trend. Yeah. Because stuff like grizzly bear hunting it will never open ever again in any of these provinces or states or any anywhere where these populations are large enough to support hunting. It will never open again without hunters getting together and, and putting their foot down and saying, look, mm -hmm. this has to be managed. Because if we don't band together, it, it will never exist again. Yep. And I know a person is supposed to sit there and trust the scientists, trust the biologists, because these people are working full-time at it. But I don't think anybody sees how the population's animals are doing quite like the people that are out hunting them. Right? Like, even even look at the, the deer populations from year to year here. Like, you have to notice a difference in them, right, Spencer? I definitely would say we do. I, I do believe part of if there is any discrepancies between the real population numbers and the reported ones it's it'd be a, i'd blame lack of funding yeah. you know it, it's tough for fish and life to have an, enough biologists out there and enough field hours mm -hmm. to accurately judge it i know i've heard some people even in northern alberta they're talking about wildlife populations in a lake i know this is off tangent a bit but they said after a day of fishing they had encountered fish and wildlife and they said oh the they're asking why is the wild limit zero we had the best day of fishing we've ever had and they said, well, there's only 200 breeding pairs in this lake. Some guy says, well, I must have caught half of them. And then another man heard the conversation and says, well, I caught the other half then. Mm -hmm. It was just they, there wasn't enough funding into the research, and all they could do was test this one stream. Okay, here's how many fish came to spawn in this one stream. Yeah. And the reality yeah, of it is, yeah. it's like, okay, yes, that is the main spawning stream, but there's... But they don't the hang out there all the time. 
and the walleye can spawn in the lake. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And uh, like you were saying before, it's sometimes you remember the experience more than you do the hunt, getting yeah. more back to where we were. And I can remember uh, doll sheep that Dad hunted. Mm-hmm. And he got a, a doll sheep on the first first hunting day that we were allowed to actually go out with the gun. And I remember that's one of my favorite hunting adventures, not solely because we got the sheep. And it was an awesome ram, a cool hunt. But just the adventure of getting there, taking a, a commercial plane to a fly-in only town, taking a small plane into hunting camp, taking a helicopter from hunting camp to spike camp, and then sleeping in tents on the side of a mountain in uh, in a place where the sun never sets. And on the way in, you also see a grizzly bear 300 yards from your tents. Yeah, it's just down the hill from our tents. And for some reason, we never did see him while we were there. And then I believe we saw him again when we flew out. In the right around the same area, which is cool, and we got an awesome doll sheep. That's a trophy of a lifetime for a lot of people. It was a trophy for our dad, and uh, awesome hunt. It was cool to get it on video, but just the whole thing that I remember most about it is the experience and the adventure of getting there. Yeah, and that's sometimes it's not weighed in high enough uh, when a person's talking about how their hunt went. Like you can talk about some of your other animals, like my my biggest whitetail. We went out to Saskatchewan, everything was set up to hunt. This buck we had pictures of consistently in the dark. We never saw this buck in daylight. Nobody saw a glimpse of him. Nobody got any pictures of him. Nothing. We sit down first morning, I'm there, 9 a.m., walks out, broadside shot, take him. That was it. First day of the hunt, the biggest buck we had pictures of. Mm -hmm. And uh, not quite the adventure of the other hunt that also only took one day. But... I'm sure it'll be a memory you'll never forget. No, absolutely it will be. But there's just, like I was saying, I got other animals that were a little bit smaller and I can just remember vividly all the details of getting up to it. And I I almost appreciate those hunts more. And I think it's really about how the hunt is to the hunter and not how it looks to everybody else. It's cool to shoot that big buck and put it on social media and get all the likes and comments and shares or whatever. Make it to Boone Crockett, Pope yeah, and Young. Yeah, hit those you know, standards. Get the trail cameras, say, look, I shot this buck, I nicknamed so-and-so. Yep. But the I, like on the same subject, it's the biggest thing is not to put other people down for what they enjoy to do. No, absolutely. We even we did a hunt in uh, an army base in Alberta here on the east side. Yeah. And that was a, a management deer hunt. And that's the purpose of that deer hunt. You don't go in there specifically to hunt trophies. People can. And people do harvest trophies out of there. And they boast it. Yeah. Big time. And there, is, But it is only a three-day hunt. And we did it with primitive weapons, muzzle loaders. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of fun. Yeah. I never shot... I shot two mule deer. Because you're given two tags, either sex, either species. You shot a mule deer and a whitetail. Yep. And my dad also shot a mule deer and a whitetail. Mm-hmm. And across the board, I had more fun on that hunt than I have on a lot of hunts where I shot, you know, a buck that was 130, 140, 150. Yep. Because it was that getting together as a family. It was that working as a team, harvesting these deer. The memories. Exactly. Yeah. It's so memorable to have a hunt like that. And that's coming from someone who's become more, I was more raised as a trophy hunter. I was raised to harvest mature animals, and that was a a management hunt. And I still enjoyed it because I was open to the experience. Yeah, and you have to also realize, like, everybody's growing up. You're not going to see people putting out on on YouTube or their hunting channels or their videos. They're not going to be like, oh, yeah, watch, we just took down all these forkhorns this year. No, they're shooting big bucks. And it makes a person want to do that. Yeah. Right? It's like watching Fast and the Furious. First thing you're going to do is go jump in your car and fly down the road. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like you're yeah. not gonna go and jump in your Prius and, and just put 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 down the store. No, you see these guys shooting these big bucks. You want to set that standard for yourself. And you're like, yeah, I can you, do you that too. You truly enjoy following in their adventure Absolutely. and their story, and yeah. it's something you want for yourself. It's that you have this connection to the animals, and it's the the time, the effort put in, the challenge, mm-hmm. and then the the reward. The feeling is when you can look at the end of the day and go, well, this was one of the better bucks in the herd this year. Yep. This was like, there. this might have been three in a hundred to get this year or one in a hundred to get this year. And I did it. That means a lot to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But touching on Ryan's talk about his hunt in the army base, yep. I truly think it's, you have to decide on your own if, what, what do you enjoy with hunting? What means the most to you? Is it, is it the memory of the hunt? Is it the big animal? Is it the meat? Is it, is it the meat? Is it about harvesting any animal? It's yep. like every, it, it could be different for your year. For myself, it is. It's one year I might want to shoot a giant buck or if a nice one comes by and it's not quite the score, I can decide, well, it's not what I'm looking for or, hey, this is a real cool buck and I don't care what he scores. It's Yeah, you want to set your own goals. You don't want it yeah. to be influenced by everybody else. No, it's okay to I, have those goals. I, I truly do think through your hunting career, you you're going to find what you enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody yeah. should approach you with that mentality of this is, here's what I like. No, absolutely. And then on that army base hunt as well, I think uh, at the end of, well, how many hunters were there? Uh, it was, was it 150? 150 hunters and for this three days season. There would have been some, you know, people that were there just as like people watching. Yeah. And, and so 150 like, hunters, 300 deer tags for three days. Now, that sounds like a lot for the army base, but there's a lot of deer there. And, I mean, it's achievable, I guess, if you're doing it the right way. Uh, but by the end of the three days, when I called in to find out how many deer had been shot, I think it was in the low 70s. And the three of us, out of the 150, accounted for six. So we accounted for almost 10% of all the deer that were shot. And it's a hunt that we're never going to forget. I, I know it took a long time to get the tag, but we're already still talking about it. Every time yeah. we get together, we're like, yeah, we can't wait to get in there and do it again. And we're going to get Spencer in on it next time too. And we're going to go in there and have a blast because it was just, it was about getting out there, having a fun time. Sure, the quality of trophy animals is there. We saw a mule deer in there that we thought was an elk. The thing's G2s were just absolutely ginormous. We've seen lots of trophy class white-tailed bucks. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we missed lots of trophy quality animals. (laughs) We did. But that was all part of the experience. It's part of the style of hunting that we were doing as well. Just Mm -hmm. as given with your trophy sizes to... In three days, you know, maybe someone would go in there and say, look, if I harvest one of my deer, you know, if I I sit and I sit in the same spot and I'm okay with not seeing a lot of deer and I just want to harvest one animal as long as it's a good-sized trophy, that's okay. We went in there with the mindset of we want to harvest all of our tags. We want to control the population, make sure we take care of everything. That, That was the point of the hunt to us. And we went in there and we did just that. Yeah, and see, the part that's not acceptable is... And not even us, because it's not not about bragging, right? If you're successful, you're successful. But I remember witnessing somebody shot an animal, and because uh, you have to report it in every day, and they got to take samples for uh, chronic wasting disease, which is unfortunate. But somebody would come by because they see somebody put their tailgate down. Oh, they got a deer or whatever, and they come over and be like, Ah, oh, yeah, it's not that big, and walk by. Yeah. and the person who shot it standing right there and maybe that person that shot it was like man this is my biggest deer i'm so pumped and the first person that walks by is like yeah no like you shouldn't be doing that no it's a very unacceptable behavior amongst the hunting community yeah. and i think that's something that really it keeps young hunters and people who are trying to get into hunting from getting into it into a way where they actually become passionate about it 
-hmm. Because just like any hobby you do or any sport you try to, you know, get into, you have to have a personal experience that really drives you to continue doing it. That yeah. gives you that passion to keep saying, you know what, I'm doing this every year. I'm going to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And if we, you know, behave in such a poor manner to where we actually discourage people from getting into hunting, that's where we have lack of funding. That's where we lose. We really, as hunters, as a whole group, we will lose if we can't bond together. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I think that's that's a huge importance factor is that a person has to be able to to get along with, with the fellow hunter because it's important. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, just because maybe I wouldn't say, you know, me, you know, go out in the bush to harvest just specifically, like harvest a doe or, you know, just for meat, doesn't mean it's wrong if the guy next to me does it. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as everyone's getting out there, they're enjoying the experience of hunting, they're getting meat. You know what I mean? They're putting it on their table. They're feeding their family. They're they're spending time out there with their their family and friends. They're you know they're taking care of the outdoors, and I think that's the biggest benefit to all of it. Yeah, and uh, now another thing too. I think if you're going out and you're setting a standard for yourself, whether it's size or whatever, I think the most important thing is to harvest the mature animals, like you were talking about, Spencer. Yeah. Because we've seen deer that were well into their maturity, past their prime, and the bucks never score more than 130 or 140. Sometimes the genetics don't support it. No, they don't. I've picked up pairs of antlers with six inches of mass on the base, but that deer only scored 127 inches. Yeah, and there's a, a video on YouTube, and I can't remember. I, I feel bad because I would give these guys credit, but they hunted this buck year after year after year. All he ever grew up to be was like a giant 3 by 3 He had big forks and brow tines, and every year that was about the same. They ended up shooting this buck when he was eight years old, and the only reason they shot him was because every year on the same day, he walked by the same tree. And they're like, well, it's happened all these years in a row. We might as well hang a stand. They sat there. They shot him, which is just crazy. But that just shows the, the habitual patterns of these animals. And uh, it also shows that they don't always get to this massive size. I think that'll be a very memorable deer for them, too. Yeah, because absolutely. there's a lot of trophy in the fact that it is a, it's a weird buck. It's a really cool story of yep. it's the same day and you never see him. You know, this one day he comes on trail camera here. Exactly. You have the history with that animal, and, and that means more than the size. That's yeah. an incredible story to tell people, too. Yeah. And at the same time, that, you know, deer may have only scored 110, 120 inches, whatever he would have scored. Mm -hmm. That, to those guys, probably meant the same to a guy harvesting 180-inch whitetail. Yep. And the whitetail I shot last year with my bow and arrow, it was uh, a nice 5x4. It uh, made Pope and Young, which was cool. It was my first Pope and Young whitetail. Uh, he came in. And he was the last year of three bucks that were coming by the stand. The first one was small. The second one was a really nice five by five that I had pictures of. And I came to full draw on that deer. And I thought to myself, like, you know what? I think this deer is a little bit immature. And so I let my bow down. And all of a sudden I seen the third buck coming through the trees. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's this other buck. And I knew it was a good deer. He was going to score well. But I also knew that that five by five was going to score higher. But to me, I was like, I don't really care. This other buck's got more mass. I, he's a bigger he's body. He'll he's a, more to you. Yeah, he's a more mature deer. And so I came to full draw, and as soon as he gave me a shot, I gave him an arrow. And I, to this day, I would have still taken the shot on that deer. Yeah. And I'm excited. Hopefully, this year we get pictures of that 5x5, five five, and he's into that range now where you would want to take that shot. See what he turned out to be yeah. for a buck. That would be cool. Because you also give him the opportunity to sow his seeds and, and make mm -hmm. his gene pool spread out and extend if you give him the chance to mature because once a buck hits three and a half 
his breeding becomes a lot more prevalent. And in my honest opinion, I think that the smaller buck had better genetics. Yep. And that's why I think that seeing that deer compared to the one that I shot even this year, he still would have been a bigger scoring deer than the one that I shot. But again, it, it comes down to the maturity it, factor. It's weighing on what makes you happy to be a hunter. Yeah, what exactly. makes you happy in that hunt, in that situation. It's, mm -hmm. you want the older buck and you got him. Yeah. Kudos to you for making yeah. that decision. Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's awesome, and it's it's something you can you can boast to yourself, and you can be proud around whoever else. Somebody wants to tell you, hey, it's not that big, and you're like, oh, well, let me see yours. Yeah. Because it's a lot of times it's just jealousy. Mm -hmm. um, now, my next question kind of veers off topic a little bit, um, but with how scoring can affect how you perceive hunting, what about trail cameras? Like, everybody's sitting in their stands, they're like, I know exactly what deer are in this area. I know them by name. I know that this deer's got a funny kicker on his G2, or this deer's brow tine leans to the left. Like, and you spent $20 on an app to score them, potentially, too. I've seen that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I believe, I don't know if there's a guarantee on them, but from my understanding, it's you'll be within two inches on what that deer scores. With now, trail cam when we were kids and we first started hunting, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. You plop your blind or your tree stand down in the middle of who knows where, and you had no idea what lived there. Yeah. You're like, well, let's see what happens. The biggest buck in this area could be a forkhorn or a spike. But you're going to sit there and you're going to be like, oh my goodness, a deer is coming in. I have no idea what this is. Yeah. Whereas you're sitting there, you got your trail cam set up. You're like, oh, it's, it's, the, it's the lame nine or it's the big five or whatever. And you're like, oh, like you don't feel the same level of excitement. The deer are almost becoming pets. That's yeah. something my father's termed that as is... When you have these trail cam pictures and they're named, it's like, this is like, it's like your pets or it's like your farm animals. Mm -hmm. If you know them all by name and you know everyone that's going to come in, you know what time they're coming in or what their pattern is roughly. Yeah, it's, so for me personally, I think it really does take it the fun out of it. Now, that said, we put trail cameras up all the time. And for me personally, it's more so just to know how many animals are in an area. I want to know what time of day they're crossing a spot so that I know... I'm not wasting my time to sit there in the morning when it's an evening spot. Um, you kind of get a general size consensus, but I don't usually pay a huge amount of attention unless I'm like, oh my goodness, this thing looks like it's going to pull my wall down I, when I mount it. I do think it is great, though, having that ability to know all the deer with the trail cameras. Mm -hmm. It's it's fun. It's a different style of hunting. It's I think it's something everyone should experience. You should experience multiple styles of hunting. And mm -hmm. I agree. But the important thing is not to take the fun out of hunting from using trail cameras. Mm -hmm. A trail camera is an amazing tool to be able to use as a hunter, but people who focus too much on specifically, you know, when they're paying for how big their deer is, well, if that is what they like, then that's okay. But not to condescend down on another hunter for not using his trail camera the same way or maybe not using them at all. And I've seen it where guys will say something like, uh, yeah, I know I set up my camera. I got these two bucks that are almost like they're borderline shooters and I'm just not going to shoot them this year because they're just not good enough. When if they didn't have that trail camera set up and one of those bucks walks by, they're probably like, oh man, let's, this is a shooter. Mm -hmm. you know they I mean? might be disappointed in the end. So they're, there's a possibility for their enjoyment too. of the hunt. Yeah, no, exactly. At the end of the day, I think it's, you have to do what you enjoy and make it worthwhile as long as you're ethical. Yeah. And uh, back to the, the topic of mature animals, uh, if you're shooting a deer that's eight years old, whether he's 190 inches or 120 inches, I promise you that that deer is the same level of smartness. You're not going to find an eight-year-old buck that's dumb and an eight-year-old buck that's a genius. 
because they both made it to eight year old eight years old doing the same thing, right? Yeah. It depends what area they're in, how heavily pressured they are. Yeah, absolutely. And but on a general sense, what you're getting at is basically it's still the same amount of difficulty to harvest that animal if you put a 190-inch 8-year-old in the same spot as a 120-inch 8-year-old. Oh, yes. Both those deer are the same amount of smart. So when someone shoots that 190, you can't say it was smarter than that 120. That's, I think, kind of what you were getting at. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just it comes hand-in-hand hand with looking for a mature animal. Your mature animal is you're, you're looking for, you're trying to outsmart an animal. Right, like it's easy to outsmart the two-year-olds, but you get into the five, six, seven, eight-year-olds if they make it that far. Then those are the ones that are very, very difficult to trick or, or try and catch on a your good day and their bad yeah. day. Right. Um, now another question I have, and I see this all the time: mounting an animal that isn't of substantial size. Now a lot of guys go, "Oh, this is my first year. I'm getting it mounted." And then you get other people who are like, oh, I wouldn't mount anything unless it's 180 inches. Or I wouldn't mount this moose unless it's 60 inches. Or It really boils down to the size and, and the experience of the hunter again. Like, Dad's got a, an elk mounted that was his first bow kill and it was his first bull, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's it's not a huge bull. It's a 5x5. Five five. Yeah, just a young 5x5. Five five and but he was like just it's you feel so elated when you get one of those animals of that's like at that time it was really difficult to get one the area it was just it wasn't easy it was a hard grueling hunt you get one of those animals and a lot of people also take and pick on people that mount an animal of smaller size i don't see anything wrong with mounting the smaller animals it's again it's what do you enjoy is it I know it's awesome to have the big mounted animals, and it's it's probably the ones you want to look at. But if it's a really pretty animal, or if it's if you got the spot picked out, okay, this year I'm hunting, and oh, I've got this spot on the wall for this elk. Okay, whatever elk I gets going up there, and yeah. it ends up being smaller. I think that's I think that's perfectly fine if you want to mount the smaller animal. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. mounting something to look at. It's for your enjoyment of your hunt. It's to remember that animal, that trophy. There's a story behind everything, yeah. Yeah, and. A big part of that would be whether a white-tailed deer is 100 inches or 120, there's still the same value on that deer. You know, it's still a you know an amazing creature that we were able to go out and harvest. And we should still give it the same amount of respect no matter what the size. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's a large part. We, we deserve or we owe the respect to the animals. Yeah, that's another good way of looking at it. And I know you got, well, you're two first really nice deer. You got both of them mounted. Mm -hmm. And... There's a lot of people who'd be like, well, I mean, the one, sure. The other one, I don't know. Or both of them, I don't know. But at the same time, you're like, man, I'm, I'm so pumped. I got these animals. I can't wait to display them to everybody. And I know me personally, if I walk into somebody's um, trophy den or their room and they got a couple of mounts, and I notice that one's smaller than the other, like by a substantial, significant amount, I want to know the story behind that one. Yeah. Because there's some reason that that guy put that on his wall. And you're like, I got to know why, right? And I think that's uh, another big thing, and I think it gets overlooked. Um, I also think that uh, as a hunting community, it just there needs to be a little bit more acceptance in, in the fact that people are going out to have fun, have a good time, and it, it's not about pointing fingers at people or telling people they're doing things wrong or trying to steer people in the wrong direction because that's not a 
not a great way to go. You know, chasing people out of areas and, and such, yeah. and I think it's a big part. It's just to come together as hunters. You know, in the United States, they have a very good base of hunters that is able to come together in a lot of their areas and zones and states. And in Alberta, it's a very, it's a vicious, it's a very vicious personality that most hunters carry here. It can be very difficult. And uh, I think it would definitely be a good thing if, you know, hunters in Alberta would be able to come together and, and help each other more than hurt each other. I do you think it does add an element of fun at times the competition? in areas where if everybody knows, oh, there's this big bull elk, there's this big white tiller, big mule deer, it's, it's kind of cool to see some of the competition when it's, if, if it's kind of a fair shot, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if you got guys chasing the deer out of the field with their pickup trucks because they're on permission on it, I, I think that's something we should frown upon more than we usually do. People just look at it like, well, they're just protecting the animals so they get their shot at it. Yeah, the people bending and breaking the rules as opposed to the person who had an absolute blast doing everything by the rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Ethics has a lot to do with it. Yeah, and I, and I think if you're going to tie into the ethics part of it, I know it's not really the, the topic we were going with for this uh, podcast today, but if you're out there and you're practiced up and you know you're confident in your abilities and your equipment's confident, or not your equipment's confident, but it's your equipment capable. is capable yeah. of doing something. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, like your bow, my bow, his bow, our guns are far more capable of doing what they were made to do than we are shooting yeah. them. Yeah. Right? So if you can elevate yourself to be even close to the level of what those, those weapons are capable of, and you're confident, by all means, take the shot. Yeah. Right? It, it's all, it says, it's a person-to-person -person basis. You don't need to be attacking somebody because... They made a shot, and you thought it was too far for you, but it's not too yeah, far for them. Exactly. That person may have put the time in or the practice, and not to belittle anyone, but there is a difference between people and their ability to shoot. There's Connor McDavid's, and there's, you know, there's enforcers. There's your, you know, that's in the general sense. Some people are just better at shooting longer distance yeah. than others, and that's not to put anyone down just comes to practice, too. Exactly, but that doesn't mean you need to put down the guy who can do it. Yeah. And I don't think that by sharing that, it encourages anybody. I watch and follow along with uh, John Dudley and the knock-on all the time, and he makes some absolutely incredible shots. It blows my mind. Uh, I've seen him post something. It was either this morning or yesterday about like a 110-yard shot on a, a moose target, and he nailed it. I remember one of his videos, I think, was a 95-yard turkey shot. Exactly. Shot the head clean off of it. But something I'd never attempt, but I... Yeah. That tied back into trophy hunting. Like, the memory of that shot. Totally. And how cool and how difficult that shot was. It's a worth... It, it'd be a worthwhile thing to pursue if you're a hunter and, to push yourself and push yeah, your limits. And I, I think another person had asked him one time about how he decides on what he's going to shoot as far as score. And I think he said it was like... 10 points each for each leg or something, and then add how good of a time you had out of 100 or something. And that was how you came out. It was something silly like that, but it's so true, right? Like, you just, you get caught up in, in the everything going on in, in the community and the world around it, and they're like, oh, no, it's, it's just so much pressure. And I think if a person just takes a step back from that and realizes, hey, you know what, I'm out here, I'm having a good time, I'm getting away from whatever, and I don't have to work, and... This deer's coming in, and I got a shot, and I got a freezer that needs him. I'm going to take that shot, and that's that's really what matters the most at the end of the day. And then a really big thing about that, when someone posts that video and it's a good shot, it was a long shot yeah. or a difficult one, 
why what, what's the reason to go on and comment things such as well how many animals did he wound before he did that yeah no, that's because obviously he's proud of the hunt he did a good job and i don't care who you are if your ethical mm -hmm. range is 40 60 200 400 everybody makes mistakes yep in a hunting community making mistakes is just that's it's very normal yep. that doesn't mean that you know you don't strive to be better yeah but to make a mistake isn't a it isn't the end of the world you don't hate on other hunters for making a mistake and definitely don't act as if you don't because if you're a hunter and you've hunted and harvested multiple animals you will make mistakes yeah it's it's normal to miss it's normal to wound it's normal to make a marginal shot it's normal to make a bad shot if you're an avid hunter you have done at least a few of those Mm -hmm. You just try to do everything you can to recover that animal on those marginal exactly. or the wounding shots. It's and then pass that, eliminate it for the next shot. Now, if you're taking marginal shots on every animal or you're missing every animal or you're wounding every animal... You might mm -hmm. want to question your tactics. Exactly. You and, might want to start practicing. And your ethics on yeah. top of that. So. No, I, I agree with that. And uh, I think on that note, we're going to wrap up this podcast. We're, uh, we're getting ready to do something a little bit different. We're... Starting uh, a little bit of a tradition here. We got the T-shirts. We got the greasy twig <laughs> flinger. It's, <laughs> it sounds goofy, but greasy twig flinger. It's kind of up all of our alley, and it's gonna be a little, little bit of an archery competition that we got going. Yeah, and, uh, it's kind of a we're kind of doing it for Ryan here mostly today, because uh, as you can, if you can see it on there, we got last fling before the ring, and uh, kind of the play on the words here with flinging the arrow. But Ryan's getting hitched here right away, and nine, uh, ten days getting married, so. Starting yep. a new chapter in life. What, yep. what better way to kind of get into it than shooting some arrows? Yeah, we'll do some uh, some target shooting. We got a couple setups with the tree stands and a couple of ground shots. We got a bunch of prizes lined up and made up some fun rules. And we're yeah. gonna try and make this an annual thing. Right on. We'll definitely appreciate you having us on, Tyler. Yeah, no, Thanks absolutely. Time. And uh, thank you guys for watching. Uh, like always, uh, let me know what you think. We're always open to criticism. I like to know what you like, what you don't like, and. Uh, Follow along on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at On The Blood Trail. And, uh, yeah. Can we get some links in the description to the hunts of your dad that we are talking about on his channel? Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely throw some links in there. Uh, yeah, his channel's rolling. Slager Outdoors, it's it's really picking up s some steam. That's good and, to see. Uh, yeah, I know it's exciting. Uh, it's always fun to see the community involvement, uh, like always. And like you heard us talk about beating the dead horse over and over again. We hear the positive comments, the negative comments, but... We're all out having a fun time. We wouldn't be sharing hunts with you guys if we hated them. So, uh, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, thanks for uh, taking the time to sit down with me, guys. Appreciate yeah, no it. problem. Thanks for having us. We'll awesome. catch you guys on the next one. Yep, see you later.